0: Fantastic to to have you on the show today. Yeah. And, uh, to, to really talk everything sprinting. This is uh, this is an amazing amazing time uh, right now for for people uh, in general, uh, but also for for them to really hone in on that and uh, and really today we just want to talk about the well the per, the perfect sprint mechanics uh, and also the brain health uh for those of you don't know who uh adam is uh i'm sure right now he'll be able to tell you who he is and what he does
1: Let's do it. No, I just appreciate so much, Tom, for having me on. Um, So I'm actually based in the United States, up in New Jersey, kind of wedged in between New York. I'm about 10 minutes outside of NYC, so it's pretty cool. I get a little bit of everything, but uh, super fortunate to be on the podcast, and I'm excited to kind of peel back the current for you guys on how to actually train athletes.
0: Awesome stuff. So yeah, Adam, you you've got a pretty exceptional um portfolio. Now when I say this um for, for people listening right now, you've got over twenty thousand Billable training hours that combine the NBA, the NFL, the Major League Baseball, uh, and in terms of athletics as well, and just everything. <laughs> um, what, what, how, how did you start this, <laughs> this uh, amazing journey? I know how how you did it, uh, but for those listening, just give us a bit of a breakdown.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been pretty fortunate, if you will. Um, so I had two internships earlier on, I played basketball at a young age. And that was literally from five all the way up until college myself, sophomore year of college. And what that consisted of is just being around athletes playing sports my whole life. But what's funny is I didn't actually know that I wanted to get in sports performance training, if you will. Fun fact <laughs> is I actually was into film. So I think we've talked about that before. I wanted to be yeah. a film and screenwriter. So I had I like the more creative aspect of it. So I think having that angle was a lot more unique for me to be able to be very objective when I come into, you know, the strength and conditioning realm because I don't see things as like black and white. I see everything from a more global standpoint. So that was even while I was just playing sports. So I didn't have any preconceived biases. However I was fortunate to get an internship at Joe DeFranco's Training Systems. Now, if you guys do not know, he is literally like the Goldman Sachs of the sports performance industry. He is a pioneer. He has helped pave the way for a lot of other coaches such as myself and During that time, I got to be exposed to WWE superstars, NFL superstars, NBA guys, all these different types of athletes. So my first um, experience working with these athletes was at such a high level. So I saw exactly what it took to train at the highest level. Now, when you fast forward two years, Joe packed up his business and they did something else a little bit. And what I did is I got an internship at what's called Varsity House Gym. And Varsity House Gym was totally opposite of this. Don't get me wrong, they still trained high level athletes but not to that caliber. But what they did do is they had a lot more organization behind things. So my internship process was an interview. I wore a suit and tie. I had to meet with the board. I had to have a whole curriculum to abide by. But more importantly, they taught me how to build relationships with people. And we trained adults as well as athletes. And I think the combination of both of those with my unique objectivity from wanting to be more creative in a film um, director, I think that's what really helped spark the way for me me and has led to some earlier success uh, although not where i want to be um i think that definitely played a role
0: that's amazing uh, and i think that it, it only really just it's only really just getting started from from what i'm looking at anyway uh, and what i mean by that is that uh when you get into a coaching rhythm and a coaching path it it takes it takes four or five years. It realistically does, because the amount of education uh, and the amount of hours that you've actually got to observe uh, before you can actually practically apply those coaching strategies, it must have taken you quite a fair bit of time to, to really understand that, wouldn't it not?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I think a lot of coaches don't realize is that training knowledge is important. We can both agree upon that. You know, we know that you have to be extremely well diverse, extremely well educated. But the caveat to that is that your training knowledge alone is not enough, because if that were the case, some of the smartest coaches that I know are also the brokest. And here's what I mean by that: because they don't have this other side of business, Um, you know, business. they just don't understand how everything works logistically, from operating systems, personal time audits, marketing calendars, and this is a whole separate thing. But I think it's important to mention because all of those things, combined with your knowledge and training, will take your career so far. And and I think that it cannot be without stated that you must include both in your pursuit of excellence in becoming a strength and conditioning coach.
0: Well, I think you've, I think you've encap in, in encaptured in both both sides of it exceptional and uh, exceptionally well and i think if anything the the varsity brand itself is just going to keep going and growing and, and and your own personal um skills knowledge and uh and experiences so that's truly amazing but getting back to the 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 true topic um uh, of today really so how how did you really start understanding the 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 sprinting side of things. Now, I really want to hone in on this because I I see you as someone who can really take someone from the basic movements and really excel on that. Uh, how long did it take you to to learn that? But also at the same time, why why did you? How did sprinting come about for you?
1: Yeah, I think for me, again, being very objective. I'm trying to always think, okay, if an athlete comes to me and they say they want to reach their absolute genetic potential and they want to be really, really good in their sport. Well, is there anything more important than getting there first? is there anything more important than making sure that an athlete from head to toe is physically, but also psychologically prepared to handle the demands and the emotional demands of their sport? I think we could check all those boxes. So if I was to unveil that, in my opinion, that is sprinting because sprinting is the hierarchy of athletic development in every other physical quality that you wanna train. If you train speed and you train to sprint, all of those subsequent things will come along with it. That doesn't mean you only sprint, but I think sprinting should be the center of any athlete's training program, no matter what athlete.
0: Yeah, no, that's truly really amazing. You mentioned that one thing as well, the brain, yeah. the brain connectivity. Yeah. Now, for me, that's huge. Okay, we talk about my muscle connection quite a lot in terms of neurological pathways, how they connect, how you how you send uh, receptors um, down the neuro- neurological pathway. It comes to a bridge and then it's connecting with the muscle itself. Um, how much of a bigger part to play does the brain have in terms of sprinting versus just your standard mind-muscle connection?
1: Yeah, I think when you look at two separate action let's say you look at two separate physical actions right one is more athletic based movements if we were to create two categories one is more strength based movements or in the weight room based movements and we know both athletic actions have two separate things required of it if you're in the weight room that requires more intra-abdominal pressure because if you're lifting with an external stimulus such as a barbell or a dumbbell you know that you have to right all the things that happen as a byproduct of that but when you look at what happens, and I actually did a post on this recently, so it's top of mind. When you're actually lifting, sometimes what happens as well is you get into extension. When you get into extension, you get into bad pot patterns in posture. And when you have bad patterns in posture, that actually sends a signal to the brain, more sympathetic tone. And we know that that keeps you in a state of arousal. So therefore, you have very trouble relaxing or you have a hard time relaxing. But when we think about athletic movements, i.e. sprinting or jumping, those movements require an extensive ability to be able to maintain relaxation because of the just the innate movement pattern and the kinetics of that motion. So when I think the brain, if I'm truly trying to get an athlete to reach their maximum genetic potential, I need to get them to unlock what I call the neural e-brake. Neil, the neural e-brake is also a fancy word for stress and stress locks all of us up. So I can't have an athlete run as fast as possible, jump as high as possible, move as well as possible if the neural e-brake has them locked up because of stress. And what facilitates stress from an athlete standpoint? Well, strength training and poor patterns lead to that stress. So for me, that is why I have taken away from the barbell a little bit. And I've tried to put athletes into more positions where they can maintain relaxation. They still get stability, they still get strength because we know strength is force. And so what that does is that allows me to that for them to stay fresh, so I can focus on the things that matter, which are speed, jumping, and all of the other subsequent athletic movements, which require higher brain activities because sprinting is the only exercise in the world that recruits a hundred percent of one's motor units. Therefore, I'm removing the neural U break, I'm eliminating as much stress as possible, and I'm trying to create an environment that is going to allow this athlete to reach their ultimate genetic potential.
0: So that's truly fascinating and anyone listening to that is it, it, i'm 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 always mind blown by by whenever i speak to you uh adam because i always take something away from that and uh one thing that that people play around with is they, they try and play around with cortisol it's yeah. it's a it's, it's a hormone that we all know it's a, it's a it's a very very valuable hormone uh in any realm straight straightforward really um but then, what you're saying then, in terms of releasing the new uh,
1: e brake yeah.
0: Yeah. Are you able to then say that you are able to maintain, increase, or does it have an effect on maintenance, in the increase or decrease in the rate of force production then? Or uh, well, how do you, how do you, can, can you control that then by not putting them under stress?
1: Absolutely. Right, And this is all fancy because what we're talking about here is we're just talking about the neurology behind an athlete. We're talking about how the neocortex forms. I'm not going to go down this huge rabbit hole, but ultimately <laughs> but ultimately, when you think about it, what does that mean? How can I, the coach, put the ball in my court to facilitate an optimal training environment? Well, for me, it comes down to three separate things, right? Number one is the culture, and the culture is basically just are these athletes having a good time? Because if an athlete is having a good time, what is, what's going to happen as a, a subsequent part of that, right? They're going to be more relaxed. They're going to be more free-flowing. I'm going to be able to remove that neural e-break because I'm creating a culture that is just very relaxed and they enjoy being there so I can get more out of them. Number two, I just call them controllable actions, right? And controllable actions are just things that are very simple. Hey, how was your day? What's going on? Any stress? You know, what'd you eat for breakfast? I'm just collecting data from this athlete so that I can know that, hey, maybe they're not ready to train, you know, super hard today. So we're going to scale it back and we're going to take a different approach. Same concepts, but because they told me that they had three tests today and they broke up with their girlfriend, I don't think today's the best day to go for one rep, right? Or something along those lines.
0: Yeah, of course. That's
1: number two. And then number three is just empathy how can I put myself in my athlete's shoes to try to break into the brain and see what are they doing? Like, how do they feel? What do they respond to? And when you combine all three of those, that is truly where you're going to unlock an athlete's brain for a lack of better words, right? Disclaimer, I'm not a neurologist, but it truly makes a difference because the ultimate buy-in of an athlete to coach relationship is going to help that athlete truly reach their genetic potential given that you're training the right way as well
0: you're getting both you're getting both sides of their of their life to be able to create the right training mechanisms for them to actually perform correctly
1: exactly, um, exactly. which
0: is which is a tough thing to do because it's not only looking at a physical physiological side of things we, we, yeah, we are delving into into neurology uh yeah like disclaimer same same as you uh, i'm not a neurologist by any by any means necessary. But the one thing I do know is I know how important it is to have someone in a state of relaxation for them to actually unleash their full potential. Um, now, if we look at the next stages then of that, now that we've we've released the neural e- e-break, um, we've got them in a relaxed state of homeostasis. They're able to then perform exercises correctly. Um, my first go-to in terms of actually addressing someone's sprint mechanics uh, would be to look at a, a, a wall sprint. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of that, then we can actually address the correct movement pattern. Uh, what What would you What would you move to as your as your first go to from from that?
1: Yeah, I mean, so for me, when I'm thinking about sprinting mechanics, I don't want to overcoach and give too many cues because then I feel like there's too much going on and I didn't really give them any actual takeaways for that actual session. So in my mind, you know, when I think sprinting mechanics, it comes down to three separate things. And this is super simple, simplified if you will. Whereas I could talk about like torque and timing and all this, but it all encompasses these three principles. And that is yes. posture, pattern and push. Pattern refers to, I'm sorry, posture refers to where is the torso? in relation to the pelvis as the athlete moves through time and space. And that's easy to assess if we're talking about the sprint. Let's say they're running a 30-yard sprint or a 30-meter sprint. In the first 5 to 10 meters, that's the acceleration phase. So their torso and their pelvis are going to be in a certain way. That's their posture. And it changes as they progress through that distance. Number two is pattern This is where relaxation, timing, ground contact time come in because you have athletes that sometimes push the ground away from them or they sweep the ground behind them as opposed to front side mechanics and they're attacking the ground in front of them. So you want to make sure that their pattern is right in correlation with their posture. Therefore, you're going to get better propulsion, right, or move your horizontal force. Now, the last one is push. And that's just the way you push the ground and not literally like I'm pushing the ground away from me. I always say you want to strike the ground before the ground gets to you. And that helps you as an athlete think about I have to push my foot into the ground fast, hard and powerfully as quick as I can to generate my body through time and space. So that's kind of the consolidated answer there. So any exercise that you do, You can just put underneath each category. So posture exercises. Okay. You have the wall march. How about you put your hands above your head, bend your knees a little bit. You have an overhead march. How about you take a broomstick or a dowel, you put it above your head and you do the same thing. So those are four posture drills. Pattern drills could be like a march, opposite arm, opposite leg, an arm swing, a regular A skip, a B skip, you know, and all these different rhythm drills that are underneath pattern. Push, push, That's simple. That's like a single leg power skip. That's like a single leg. If you're down on your knees, you know, and you push one foot into the ground, you stand up, like a single leg split squat into an athletic stance. And when you follow that sequence, you're getting an athlete to be able to understand where their body moves, the pattern and the time that their body needs, and then how to generate force throughout that entire movement.
0: That's truly fascinating. It's just the one thing that that I've always um, uh, one thing that I've really wanted to uncover is the ability to actually drive so much force through the ground yeah. to actually create acceleration. That for me is it, it is amazing because we 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 watch people like um, Justin Gatlin and Usain Bolt uh, in in their primes uh, as two two examples, but. They're too differently, differently matched. Athletes. Right. They're, they're, they're so different. Uh, but they generate so much force individually that they could effectively be, if they were to obviously like slowing down and on the spot, we would probably say that they could generate the same similar forces through the ground. Um, if not, I, could, I would probably say that Justin Gatlin's force production would be a lot, lot higher than Usain bolts but that would only be based upon the lever length and the um, the, mus- the the muscular imbalances that he's able to generate through his body versus Usain Bolt, who's a lot more uh, a lot leaner. Yeah, no. Um,
1: go ahead. I'm sorry. It's
0: yeah, yeah. You sorry. Uh, I was I was just saying that. Yeah, it's it's uh, if you could put them in the same room and actually run the same tests in the same conditions, I would be right in saying, or correct me if I'm wrong, that Justin Gatlin would then actually come out on top versus Usain Bolt in certain characteristics. But then Usain obviously put him putting him on a track uh, excels that because of obviously the lever lengths and the other um, variables that come into it.
1: Yeah. I mean, you hit it right on the head because again, force application is very important. We understand that, right? Because sprinting is the most forceful thing you can do once you get beyond 10 to 15 meters. You, I mean, you generate five to six times your body weight per stride. However, Something that's equally as important is also your levers, like you mentioned, because if an athlete, let's say, you know, and all this stems again into genetics, right? Let's say an athlete has really long femurs, they have super high calves, so their Achilles are very stiff, and they roll into a sprint. And they can just get that swing leg recovery step right underneath their frame again. It's so much quicker because their levers are better. Well, maybe they don't need as much force because they can just get away with their levers. I, like you said, Usain Bolt. But some other athletes, like you just mentioned, Justin Gatlin um, or Phoenix, one of the female sprinters, they're so sp- strong mm. that they just generate lots of force into the ground, you know. And then when you get a combination of both, that is where you almost get like the superhumans, like the LeBron James. You know, yeah, where exactly
0: so that's that's the thing. We we're going into into cross disciplines now that they're obviously, well, how do we test the different abilities? Because we wouldn't never we wouldn't know because they, they're in such different environments. Um, and I, can, I could I could imagine that putting LeBron James in a 100-meter sprint uh, would, wouldn't would be a good idea. But if you were to put him in a 50-meter sprint, he would oh, freeze right. it. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's because of the amount of force he generates on the court, because he's designed his body genetics to fit his sport, doesn't need to, him to run 100 meters.
1: No, exactly, and that's when you just fit within the sport demands because, again, something that a lot of these athletes have, Usain Bolt, Justin Gatlin, is something called the speed reserve, right, and the speed reserve simply means, let's give an analogy. If we had two separate athletes, athlete A squats 500 pounds, athlete B squats 300 pounds, if I was to ask you, well, which athlete – can rep out 225 more, you were gonna. You would say naturally, oh, the athlete who squats 500. Why? Because his absolute threshold is higher. When you relate that to sprinting, if an athlete can sprint faster through, let's say, 100 meters or 80 meters faster than athlete B, who's going to be able to sprint 20 or 30 meters faster? Well, athlete A. Why? Because their threshold is higher. And so LeBron James has probably – Never run a hundred meter sprint, you know. I would say, ever, maybe. Like,
0: it'd be interesting to say it too. <laughs>
1: Yeah, like, I maybe I don't know if he's ever done like all out, right? And even in sport, another yes. great component of the speed reserve is they help your submax operating speeds. They're a lot higher and they're more sustainable over long periods of time than your opposition if your opposition isn't also training that absolute threshold. Because, again, if I have those two separate athletes in the weight room and the one who squats five, 600 pounds, even if he never touches 225, his absolute threshold is just so much higher that that weight is just such a lower percentage compared to his one rep max that he doesn't really need to train that quality as much just because he can get it done. Whereas, like that athlete whose ceiling is a lot lower they're going to have, they're going to struggle because that given weight again, is just so much closer to their ceiling. So they're not going to be able to sustain that longer. And in my opinion, sport, your absolute threshold for speed has to be so high because back to the LeBron James analogy, you're never going to run a true, you know, for lack of better words, one rep max or all out sprint in a game because there's too many other confining variables. Mm
0: -hmm. It's, it is an interesting concept then. So if we were to put someone like George Kittle from the San Francisco 49ers up against LeBron, um, do you reckon that they would have same similar um, thresholds? Or say, for instance, if we were to put LeBron up against um, uh, Marshawn Lynch, like wh- wh- where, would the, where would the testings come into play there? Because I think that they're, they're quite transferable in terms of the short distance but the explosive elements that come into it are, are very similar in terms of the NFL. And
1: yeah, very similar. I think, you know, it's hard to say unless you actually do it, right? You could have a theory based off of all mm. your preconceived notions. But I think that if you were to have those two guys start at, like, let's say one end zone and sprint as fast as they can to the next end zone, I think really what would happen is, is just because LeBron James is more genetically gifted – any super competitive that he'd probably just get there first by pure will. But like if you were okay. to have I don't know, Usain Bolt and LeBron James both sprint there, Usain Bolt would get there every day and twice on Sunday because he's trained that absolute threshold so much more where LeBron James is really good at training underneath fatigue for longer periods of time.
0: They they're both training on the two different types of
1: Exactly. Where it's like Usain Bolt needs to be as fresh as possible all the time. LeBron James needs to be fast, but he needs to be in phenomenal shape to withstand that super long periods of time and the season and all those other things.
0: Yeah. It's the <sighs> It's it's truly it's truly amazing what what can be done when we start unraveling the sciences behind uh, well movement movement as a whole topic oh, really yeah. um, what do you what do you see then changing now that we're now that we're moving and we're evolving we're evolving every day as we normally are but um, the NFL combines obviously uh, everything now right now at this present moment in time has been put on hold um, what do you see people focusing on it in their in their downtime now
1: just from like a holistic training training standpoint
0: yeah bit, bit of combination of both really in terms of general life and uh, the the training yeah
1: i mean i think one of the hardest things with everything that's happening now is that you know you have you have almost too much time where you don't know what to do with it and when you have no time constraints because you know there was a book i read called the upside of stress and the upside of stress just refers to how humans need stress in order to operate effectively. And I'm not saying like no one's not in stress right now. I mean, it's a very high stress time globally around the entire world. We're in one of the worst economic and just complete global shutdowns of all time, you know, in history. But I think that when you have too much time as an athlete or maybe even a coach, what's happening is, is you're losing a sense of reference points, such as. You know you have to wake up at a certain time because you have to be there. You know that you have these X amount of sessions, so you have to get those done. You know that you might have to send this one email. Or as an athlete, you know that you train at 6 to 7 a.m. because you have practice and film later. But when you take away those reference points, the brain seeks stability, and the brain needs organization whether we want it to you know, have it or not. And I think when that happens is, is that a lot of the times athletes start to begin to reverse back the habits that, that they didn't have initially, that now they're just going to be able to have nothing to, or they will have nothing to fall back on. Does that make sense? Right. So like, what I'm trying to say is that.
0: Yeah. 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 Of course. Of course. Yeah. The, habituals, the habituals. Yeah. yeah. And so you
1: in. need to make sure as an athlete or a coach that you have all these habits. So what I've been saying is, guys, create a schedule. So athletes and coaches create a schedule, even if you really don't have that much to do, wake up at still wake up super early because then you feel like you have stuff to do. Wake up super early, have a morning routine, eat breakfast, work on something, create new things, and then maybe take a little break, train, write an article. Maybe it's five o'clock. That's a good day. And you do that over and over again. Now, once this is all over. You better come out with a lot. You better be coming out a lot more forward than you were before because you had all this time. And if you didn't take advantage of that time, in my opinion, really never had a time problem. You know, you had more of an excuses problem.
0: (laughs) The excuses, uh, brilliant, brilliant. It's it's so common. It's it's one of those things, and I think that when the athletes start returning bit by bit uh further down the line do you think that they they a bit you you'll have to start retraining them to where they were before they left or do you think you'll you'll go back to uh midway through what they were learning or, or even at the start go back to the start what, how do you how do you see things panning
1: yeah i mean it's tough it's very tough to say i think most people know that female athletes typically will lose interest quicker, just because unless they're truly dedicated to their sport and their craft, they don't really, they're not too concerned with like training really hard and making sure they maintain their abilities unless they're like a collegiate pro or like really, really dedicated high school athlete. But males, typically, they seek to train a little bit and they want resources and they want to do things. So something that we did, you know, and I've had this in the works for years now, so it's very timing. But I created a full nine-week, three-time-a-week training program solely on body weight but based on true concepts and principles that even if you enroll in this and you take this course – you're still going to get better because there's progressions, there's regressions, there's two training concepts. Everything is still there. And so we've had hundreds, almost thousands of athletes now join that program and they're still able to train. They join a group and they still have access to us. So I think as a coach, one of the main takeaways during this time is you guys have to take action. You have to address the problem head on. You have to say, Hey, look, this is a hard time for me. This is what I need for you. But here is the resources that I provided for you. And you have to go far and beyond what you normally were doing to maintain that relationship and hold your athletes accountable.
0: That's that's truly that's truly going to be the make or break then from, from what you've just said. Uh, in terms of the, the, the client coaching relationship or the athlete coaching relationship then, what... What areas then? I know you've obviously got the training side of things uh, in, in the works to be able to provide that. But do you have to spend a lot of time with them on the phone to, to actually keep them engaged? Or do you have to what, let them find it out for themselves? Or what are, what are you doing?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think it just comes down to meeting the athlete where they are, right? So we know athletes hang out on social media. So I've been very active on social media, particularly Instagram, and I've messaged literally hundreds of the athletes we've trained. I made them all enroll. I can see how far along in the course they are. And then also with that, it's just constant communication even with their parents. So I've called all of their parents. I've sent emails to the parents. And that has been a crucial part of that because I don't only want to, obviously there's twofold, right? One, we're still in business, so we have an online business that we're doing great with, so that's not an issue, but we still have a brick-and-mortar business that we have to attend to, and that is the, the key driver for that, so maintaining those relationships, like I said. But to answer your question, with the athletes, creating groups, be that's Facebook or Slackboard, and you're in constant communication with them, sending videos, just shooting the crap, you know, maybe uploading gifts, and just being there all the time so that you're top of mind, And therefore, they know, Okay, you know, I'm always talking to him. He's holding me accountable. I'm going to have to get this training done. Because, again, although they're saying this date might be pushed back a little bit, time goes pretty fast. You know, a month will go pretty fast. And when that month's over, have you been doing everything you're supposed to be doing? And that's the message that I try to relay to the athletes.
0: And they, they, they get that message straight away which is the key thing. Yeah,
1: exactly. You just, you as the coach, you just really have to enforce it and you have to force the hand. and, And you can't say because of you, right? Because you know, maybe if you guys run a brick and mortar business that you have to maintain and you have to pay the bills and you have to worry about those things. But the athletes don't care about that. So it's all about framing and it's about getting into their mind and saying, hey guys, look, Look how much work we built upon this you know, crisis that we're in. Guys, let's not go back to square one. Here's what I created for you guys. Here's what it entails. You have 24-7 access to me, and I want to make sure that we get even better during this time so that when we're back to business as usual, let's start taking real leaps forward towards your athletic development.
0: That's just huge. And if you can control that and harness it, then things become a lot, a lot easier for, for both sides of the table. Of course, of course, uh, definitely, it's definitely got to re- reflect on on every area. Um, in terms of that, then uh, you mentioned something quite quite interesting. Then the the athletes themselves, they don't care obviously about the bricks and mortar. Then so in terms of holding them accountable, mm-hmm. uh in in the factors of obviously their own training. Uh, to obviously tuning their sprint mechanics and, and tuning tuning the way that they run, and obviously their programs. Uh, how how do you make them more accountable? Because they're they're obviously left to their own devices using social media and uh, and other distractions. Uh, what what are, what have been the key areas for you to being able to maintain that accountability side of things? Yeah,
1: I mean, you know, this is just very specific, but I use a platform called Teachable. So outside of just communication, but there's a platform called Teachable and in there I create a lot of courses and it's where uh, a lot of our businesses are held. But on there, something that's unique about it is that I can see how far along a training program an athlete is. So I can see, oh, they're only 10% done. They haven't done these days. So then I know I can go in with specific actionable takeaways. I could literally say, let's say the athlete's name is Matt. I could say, hey, Matt, I saw you didn't do last week's training you know, let's make sure you get on top of that. So this week, I want you to get that done so we can move forward and go ahead. Because therefore, I see they didn't do something, I can use that immediately to address them, they know exactly what I'm talking about. And then ultimately, if you built this great relationship with them, they're going to feel a little guilty because you're doing your part to make sure that, you know, they get better, and that they're trying to improve. So they feel like, all right, I have to do this. He really wants me to get better. I see that he has my best interest. Um, and I think that is a true key way to do that. Outside of, you know, I don't know, there's so many other platforms that we can't get into, but that's just a very specific example. Mm.
0: That's perfect. And it makes it makes them start to realize that hold on a minute, we're investing in our education for the for the future and it's and it's gonna pay dividends from that. On that topic of education. Uh I think you know what I'm leading on to here uh you've got a very exciting thing coming up shortly and uh Tell us a little bit about that, because you've got a lot of other different um, industry experts. Uh, one in particular, Ben Patrick, uh, as part of obviously uh, part of this, uh, and also Les Spellman. Talk a bit about this. It's coming up soon, but I'll, I'll leave the details for, for you to share. Yeah,
1: so something that we did, just kind of the coaches corner, coaches versus COVID, is I just, through the, our, our company, Business of Strength, we are hosting a free sports performance symposium. And what I did was I just reached out to colleagues, but really my friends and guys I've just connected with and talked to for a while. And we're just going to host a four-hour online free sports performance symposium. It is literally as if you were attending a seminar, you were attending a certification, or you were attending a course lecture, what have you. And we're just going to each talk about our own scope of practice. And we have an amazing lineup. So the lineup is... Hunter Cherninsky, who is a protege of Derek Hansen and Charlie Francis. He is truly the sprinting mastermind. I've acquired a lot of knowledge for him. I did his speed master class. Dr. Tommy John, yes, son of legendary Tommy John. He is be there as well speaking <laughs> about youth performance and health. Ben Patrick, knees over toes. Everybody knows him by now. Um, he's more of on a social media guy, and he just puts out great information about knee health. Jake Tura, a name that most people probably don't know by now, but he is an assistant strength and conditioning coach at YSU in Ohio. And he puts out a lot of great stuff on knee health as well and tendon health and strength training. We have Zach Evanesh who is a legend in the field, and he was one of the pioneers as well. We have Mike Boyle. I mean, Mike Boyle, I'm pretty sure, is the godfather of strength and conditioning.
0: Uh, mm. No,
1: not in, <laughs> not in Eastern Europe. We're talking about the states. We're not talking about Veroshansky. We're talking about – we're talking about – Yeah, I was going to say, I was,
0: that's a questionable no, statement. No, right?
1: we're not talking about Eastern <laughs> European. We're talking about here in the United States. So we're excited for him. And then Les Spellman, who is a speed expert as well. He's training a lot of guys for the NFL Combine out in San Diego. And then um, myself, I'm going to speak as well. So we have eight awesome guests lined up. We might even have a few more additional ones just to come on, which is going to be pretty cool. And um, that's it. So that will be hosted on April 12th, Easter 12 to 4 p.m. If you enroll now, we're taking the first thousand people. We already have 425 people signed up in four days. So it's filling up pretty quickly. We're going to take the first thousand people. And if you do sign up, you will get lifetime access to all of the course contents, materials, and everything else that I might put in there as well. So that's coming up. We're pretty pumped and excited for that
0: no i'm definitely excited i've definitely enrolled to that so i'm i'm definitely looking forward to it uh, and also the the guests that that are going to be speaking on it are people that that i am um, truly inspired by not only by yourself uh but also with the stuff that that les and uh, and hunter are doing uh, and also ben uh because they're all they're all very different and unique and that's that's the most important thing right now is that you haven't got one person that's particularly covering all of the areas. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people uh, would be worried about in terms of attending something like this. But this is truly different people from different corners of the industry uh, all portraying their expertise in their own uh, defined area, which I, I think is, is fascinating. And uh, it, it's something that I'm really looking forward to. But um, Adam, uh, I really do appreciate you taking time to, to speak today and uh, I think it's, it's safe to say that there's a lot coming up for the future. There's a lot for people to look out for. Uh, make sure that you jump over to uh, Adam's Instagram page, uh, Adam Menor. Uh, I will post his, uh, his profile in the link, and uh, feel free to reach out to him. He's very responsive in terms of uh, uh, his uh, response rate. Uh, give him a little bit of time, because he's a busy man. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm sure he'll come back to you with any questions that you have Adam real great pleasure yeah thank you so today. much for
1: having me on this platform it's really cool I mean the goal is to spread as much positivity during this time and I think Tom's doing an awesome job of just trying to provide value to you guys so as he said please reach out to me Adam A-D-A-M Menor, M-E-N-N-E-R and uh, I have a lot of resources through that page and it kind of leads you to my main hub if you will our main hub as, as a business so thank Thank you so much, Thomas.